It's Wednesday, so you've got me. I'm Carousel Baird. Hey, you can listen to me any day of the week. You can listen online at WRTFM.org, at the A Public Affair podcast, or on the WORT smartphone app. If you like what you hear, click the donate button and support community media. Your donation makes a huge difference. Six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. The big sound from underground. We bring the truth to places truth is never heard before. We bring the sound communication of our tribal war. Dark vision fly by helicopters. And welcome to a public affair. It's Wednesday, so that means you've got me. I'm Carousel Baird. And I want to remind you, you are listening to volunteer-powered, listener-sponsored community radio, WORT 89.9 FM, Madison. Well, we're continuing our conversation about cases that are currently before the United States Supreme Court. Last week, we had a fabulous conversation about the case that is uh, talking about the power and the challenges of internet search engines. And I really loved all the feedback we had about the conversation last week. And this week, we really wanted to move the conversation to talking about students and the impact um, of student debt and the role of student debt that it plays when you're a student and beyond. And there is a current case before the United States Supreme Court talking about whether President Biden, who forgave uh, around $400 billion of student loan debt, whether that's legal and allowable. Here to talk to us about that case and student loan debt and sort of all the implications that are up right now, we have two fabulous guests. Um, First, we have Dalia Jimenez. She is a professor of law and director of the Student Loan Law Initiative at UC Irvine Law School. Hi, Dalia. Hi, Carol. So thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. It's so great to have you. And then we have um, David Namias, and he is the director of Consumer Law Advocates, Scholars, and Student Networks. Uh, and a staff attorney for the Center of Consumer Law and Economic Justice at UC Berkeley School of Law. Hi, David. Hi, Carousel. Thank you so much for join, uh, for having me, and thank you for uh, um, for having me with Dalier, um, Professor Jimenez, who's wonderful. It's wonderful to have you. And also, I will point out that um, David, you were part of the team that wrote an amicus brief on behalf of um, a, a consumer advocacy group from Missouri. Correct. On behalf of Missouri Consumer Advocates, um, Missouri specifically Consumer about Advocates. yeah, and and we'll talk a lot about the the role that Missouri, the state of Missouri is um, is playing in the uh, in these cases. Oh, that's fantastic. So I want to sort of start a little bit with there was a law that was passed. It's called the Heroes Act. We'll get into that. But the law says that quote the Education Secretary can waive or modify any statutory or regulatory provisions to borrowers affected by a war or other military operation or national emergency. So that's sort of the law that is the foundation um, of whether President Biden and previously President Trump took some action uh, under this law, although that's not the subject of the Supreme Court case. Um, But the power of this law, the power of a president to do something that perhaps otherwise people would think should be the job of Congress or the legislature. But before we get into all that um, background, I I wanted to spend a a couple minutes talking about student loan debt to really help remind us all the 
impact that it has, not just on the individuals that have the debt, but on society as a whole. Um, Dalia, do you think you could sort of start with that a little bit and give us a, a big picture view of, of what the challenges are with student loan debt in America? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we have about $1.7 trillion in outstanding student loan debt right now. Um, and almost all of it, $1.6 of that is federal student debt. That is debt that is owed in some way to the federal government. So really, this is, you know, we get, there are problems with private student loans owed, owed to, uh, to banks, but the majority of the problem, the size of the problem is the federal student debt. And why do we have this? Well, because since the 1960s in a series, and I mean, over two dozen sets of laws, at least, uh, Congress decided that the way that we were going to fund higher education was by making students um, take on the risk of that higher education. That is, you know, they're the ones who choose where to go and what to borrow. Um, and we, over time, at first it was a little limited. It was only available to poor students, um, you know, means tested, only they can take out loans, but now everybody can take out loans. Um, you know, even if you don't need to, like even if you have all the wealth in the world, um, you can still take out a loan. Um, and uh, and it, there's no, the terms are the same for everybody, even if you have, you know, no money at all um, or, or, or the richest person in the country. So, um, so we did this and, and at the same time, states and other um, places basically decided and, 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 and um, yeah, states and, and Congress too decided that they weren't going to fund universities or uh, institutions of higher education because students were bringing in the money. Um, and, um, and so then, you know, they were, the, the money could come in that way. Um, and so what's happened is um, as tuition has increased because of inflation and, um, and defunding at the state in, uh, institutions, students have really become um, the, the, the ones that are carrying this whole ship. And yeah. they've done so in a way that is personally very high risk for them. That is for many people, education, higher education is a great bet to take. They, it will pay off for them, um, for the average person even still, although that's actually decreasing over time. But the average person is actually really most likely a white person. Um, and it is a white person of a particular, um, you know, with, with, with some wealth in their family. Um, and when you actually look across different groups, racial groups, it turns out that actually that is that that sort of the good bet of higher education doesn't really work for them. So what we've done is really saddle people with these high risk, um, you know, high reward, actually not really high reward, high risk, medium reward um, kind of situation. And um, and we've let that debt balloon over time. So just like a, one statistic um, that people don't realize, they think, oh, all these people that are, um, you know, all this debt is really people who, uh, you know, are having high paying jobs and, um, you know, we really shouldn't cancel it. But really 40% of all outstanding borrowers right now, all people who owe student debt right now, um, did not finish college within six mm. years. 40%. And it's 54% if you look only at Black students. Um, so it's really, and, and you know, and there's statistics about really this is not young people. Um, you know, there's older people who borrowed for their, for their um, family members, for their children, for their grandchildren, um, or who borrowed to go to college after. Um, and so we have, you know, and, uh, we have this sort of um, um, numerical problem, such a large size. And then, you know, there's 45 million people who are suffering. Not every single one of them, for many people, you know, for, for some of them, this is this was a good bet, but many of them are actually suffering. Um, and so uh, in deciding to do this, um, uh, you know, uh, this is where we were when um, the COVID pandemic happened. 
and the HEROES Act, as you mentioned, was enacted. Um, and so we have the HEROES Act, which allows the president to do, um, you know, to have some flexibility with regards to uh, student loans. And the first usage of the HEROES Act um, uh, with regards to student loans was the uh, pause of payments on federal student loans um, in March 2020 that President Trump um, and Betsy DeVos, Secretary DeVos did. And that pause has continued until today, so three years, um, and will continue until August, uh, at least right now. And that has meant that no one who has a federal student loan that is owed to the Department of Education has had to pay anything during this time period. And they've also not had interest rate, interest accumulate during this time period, mm -hmm. which is a form of cancellation, right? Like all of the interest that would have accrued has been canceled. Um, and that pause has been, I think, critical to many people, you know, being able to basically like literally survive, like, you know, in their, in their daily lives. Um, but it has also been, you know, disproportionately affecting people who didn't need it, right? So the pause applies to everyone who has the loans, people who don't need it because their job continued, they maybe, you know, are even in a better job or whatever. Um, they also have benefited from this pause. So we have this pause. And then just before the pause was set to expire, President Biden, Set, you know, set us up by uh, by saying essentially the the part of the argument is because of this pause, we must do some form of cancellation. Part of it has to do with we're going to turn on um, a payment uh, system um, after three years, and we're going to turn that on for 45 million people, which is astounding to think of. 45 million bills are going to go out all at once after three. You know, these people were not in contact with their um, servicer, and um, and that's just you know just think of the logistics of that it is madness in many ways um and i think it's 20 million maybe maybe it might be 30 david might correct me and the number of people who if the cancellation that president biden proposed happened the number of people who would not have a bill anymore because their entire student loan debt would be wiped mm -hmm. and so we would have a much smaller problem in terms of the total outstanding and a much smaller problem in terms of the number of people affected right i think um and thank you so much Lali, for that i think the uh, the 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 what advocates are saying is that um the student uh, President Biden's uh, debt cancellation plan would affect 40 million people. 20 million of them would um, uh, have their debts completely canceled. And I think another thing to really to 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 point out here is, um, as Dalia mentioned, uh, this has an impact. Uh, would have it have an impact disproportionately um, on people of color. On uh, has a really really important civil rights and uh, racial equity um, aspect. Um, 90, uh, I have some data here from the Student Borrowed Protection Center, which is a leading advocacy group in this area. Mm -hmm. And 90% um, uh, of benefits would flow uh, from, from uh, debt cancellation would flow to people with individual income under $75,000, primarily low-income people. Um, and uh, black borrowers um, who, are, uh, who bear the highest amount of student debt would actually are twice as likely as white borrowers to have received uh, Pell grants, which are particular grants that were included in the um, in debt cancellation, um, would be eligible for up to twenty thousand dollars in relief. Um, oh, and, and last point ahead. I will just say is yep. that um, you know, at, sort of to follow up on what Dahlia was mentioning, once the payment pause ends, um, all these uh, people will be back into repayment, and we are still recovering um, from the uh, from the catastrophic truly unprecedented effects of the uh, of the COVID-19 pandemic. Absolutely. And there's um, very significant concern that millions of people will then be forced into default. And defaulting on your loans, defaulting on your student loans can be uh, devastating for uh, for a person's um, finances and, um, and, and livelihood. And that was one of the main reasons driving Secretary Cardona's decision 
um, to issue the uh, debt cancellation was to um, uh, protect against uh, the, the catastrophic effect on our economy that um, millions of people going into default would have. Well, I want to sort of ask a, a follow-up question to all of this, which is sort of the economic dynamics that are going in, and of course, the racial dynamics. During the pause, which I didn't realize still existed, so that's helpful to know, mm-hmm. goes to show I, I don't have any student loan debt anymore. Um, during the pause, it, this impacted everyone. Um, Dahlia, as you mentioned, some people took loans even though they could afford them. Uh, could afford otherwise because it was a good financial decision for them to make. Some people have loans still that they're paying off, um, but they have make substantial salaries. Some people do, some people don't. But right now with the pause, everyone gets a pause, whether you could afford it or not. And I haven't heard a lot of hubbub about that in the social, like in the general media world of, hey, this isn't fair to people. You know, I didn't get forgiveness on my mortgage. I didn't get forgiveness on my car loan. Why are you getting forgiveness on your school debt? That I never heard. When I did hear it was when President Biden's proposal, and I we haven't said that yet, my forgive, my error on that, President Biden's proposal, that is, which is before the Supreme Court, is to forgive $10,000 for people making $125,000 or less, or $20,000 of forgiveness for people who receive Pell Grants, which are more lower income. So there wasn't a concern I felt in the in the world. Do y'all sort of get the question that I'm getting at? Mm-hmm. That there wasn't sort of this community concern that, oh, student loan forgiveness, but you're not forgiving my mortgage when student loan went to everybody. But now when student loan forgiveness is going really to low-income people and and communities of color, now we're hearing all this hubbub of, oh, well, they took a risk. What are your thoughts on that and the dynamics there? Yeah, I I mean, it's a great, great point. And some of it, you know, you can ascribe to the fact that the the pause is, you know, people, you sort of have to understand what's going on to realize, um, you know, what's really going, you know, what's really happening. The word pause kind of sounds like, oh, it's not a big deal. Like nothing's happening, but you know, you can do the math more easily than, you know, you can do the math on literally how much interest is being canceled on a daily right. basis for all of these loans. Um, more than you, you know, it's, it's better math than the one where you're projecting in the total future, right? Like <laughs> it's, this is much more um, current. I, I, you know, th- I think there's a racial component um there's there's a uh you know but there's also a sort of like what's more salient to people um and there's definitely uh you know republicans in particular seem to want to use this as a wedge issue which i'm surprised by they think it's gonna work in the sense that it it seems cancellation even for people without student loans is actually broadly supported in Mm -hmm. you know surveys Mm -hmm. of the of the um general public so it's it's a little confusing to me as to why but but there's a there is this element of like you know, well, why are we doing this for these people? Like, I've already paid off my college, or I already, you know, I, I right. didn't go to college because of this. I didn't. That kind of I, I paid off my debt, so why shouldn't you? It's sort of the level of of revenge, or or yeah, you know, yeah. You know it, it's I got this cruelty well, to it. The philosophy of that, yes. Well, and I, I think, um, you know, the the. Dolly made raised a really interesting point that uh, not only is this a pause, this was a essentially cancellation of all the interest. And um, 
you know, student, uh, federal student loans, uh, the interest rates um, are set, I believe, by Congress, and they are generally much higher than private student, uh, student loans. Mm -hmm. um, and the, folks will, however, maintain, uh, keep their loans uh, as federal, you know, after, the, after they graduate, they, you know, sometimes they consolidate, they, they can transfer their private, their public loans into private loans. They might maintain pu public loans at a higher rate of like a five or 6% interest rate, um, as opposed to going to a private uh, student loan, which up until recently, the interest rates were like 2%, um, because there was a lot of protections and uh, from the federal government, you might be able to get public service loan forgiveness after 10 years. And so that's a risk that a lot of people were taking. Um, but no one really talked about, especially in the beginning of the pandemic, about the fact that we're canceling all that interest that the government was accruing. The second point I'll also raise is that if we go back to uh, March and April of 2020, when um, the world was shutting down, we were trying to figure out how we are going to sort of uh, save our economy, basically. Um, a student loan interest uh, and the payment pause was one part of a package of proposals that was a, uh, you know, supported on a bipartisan basis. Yes. Uh, President Trump um, and the Congress supported for lots of different communities. Um, and let's think about PPP loans, uh, pay paycheck protection loans. These were loans that were given to small businesses, um, uh, even some larger businesses, as we later found out, yes. nonprofits, um, uh, to help ensure that they were uh, they could stay afloat. And they yes. were forgivable loans. Um, yes. And I think we all know people who, uh, um, who were benefited from pay, uh, paycheck protect, oh, protection absolutely. loans. And there was no question about the, the fairness of that um, for, for small businesses. But when you're talking about uh, students, who I will add often become the next small business owners and entrepreneurs of the world, that, well, the, the, the conversation is different. Yeah, I mean, there is. Go ahead. You just, I mean, I think in general, there is this, um, you know, idea that, that seems to be supported by some. If you, if you think about, if you talk about this in terms of like, responsibility, like the responsibility of students, you know, the borrowers to like not have taken out the size of loans or to only do, you know, go to the school they could really afford all this stuff. But that, you know, it just really ignores a larger system which is yes. we, we, people need to go to, need to attend um, higher education, need to get a credential in order to just have, you know, over time, this is, this has been even more critical, like just to get the jobs that used to be and are the same jobs, but, and don't need higher skills, but they are now requiring these credentials. And so that means you're forcing people to go to these now even more expensive in, in the thousand times more expensive than it used to be yes. only 30 years ago. And so they have to do this. It is not really a choice if you have to do it. And, and, you know, um, yes, you can always point to people who may have done it more responsibly or whatnot, but in general, this is actually a systemic problem. And I think the ultimate flaw is the federal government's flaw in choosing over time to do, you know, to, to um, uh, support higher education, which is a, an important goal of a, of a government, I think, support higher education uh, to as many people as possible, particularly if they uh, weren't born with wealth, um, and, and to do, but to choose to do so in a way that really um, uh, puts the burden on students uh, yes. to, to, you know, to, to just accept what happens to them in terms of like what happens in the labor market. Are they able to, um, you know, to, to obtain the credential and, and get the job that they need in order to pay off those loans? Well, and of course, I mean, it goes without saying the complexity of student loan debt too. If you go to us, even if they say, oh, you should have picked a more affordable college. Well, even if you do pick an affordable college, or even if you are able to qualify and don't have to 
pay uh, tuition. There's still room and board. There's still the books. There's still all the things that you have to support yourself doing because you're not working full time because you're trying mm-hmm. to be a successful student. Right. So it's all stacked up against you. You know, all the, I have an 11th grader. All I'm doing is looking at the, the sticker prices and, and visiting colleges. And I'm out here in California as well. It's the all California show today. And we're looking at USC and my eyes are like, holy moly, how could I possibly afford right. USC? Besides the right. fact that my daughter would be so lucky to get into any of these incredibly complicated schools. But I'm like, oh, am I rooting that she gets in? Or am I rooting that she gets in? I'm not so sure what I'm rooting for. <laughs> um, but the truth is right no matter where I look even if the school is more affordable the cost that I'm going that my daughter and my family will have to take on for anybody so it's it's without a doubt the level okay so let's sort of get to the meat of it David then can you just help make sure I covered correctly what does President Biden mm-hmm. propose did I articulate it accurately what the proposal is Yes, exactly. So the what um, uh, President Biden and Secretary Cardona did was they said we um, under the authority uh, given them by the 2003 Heroes Act, which stands for the Higher Education Relief and Opportunities Act. Um, this was passed in a sort of 2003 wake of um, uh, of 9/11 and sort of beginning of the Iraq War. Mm-hmm. Um, and was a law that has been used um, in many uh, instances before, specifically to um, cancel. Uh, um, or modify a certain student uh, student debt um, in the wake of a national emergency or military uh, emergency for uh, for various communities, um, and uh, the law, you know, is. Uh, pretty clear uh, what it says is that the Secretary of Education can waive or modify student loans uh, in the event of a national emergency. Um, we were facing a national, are still facing a national emergency, um, not just sort of in the world, but um, by law, uh, President Trump issued a, na- a national emergency declaration uh, for the COVID pandemic. So we are, um, it, it is expiring uh, next month, but it has been sort of uh, ongoing, uh, this emergency declaration. So that um, with that emergency declaration for, related to the COVID pandemic, um, that can give the um, Secretary of Education authority to waive or modify student loans, uh, federal student loans, as long, you know, if paying back, and this is part of the law, if paying back um, uh, your, your loan obligations would put borrowers in a worse position. And so, um, a worse financial position. And so, uh, the, the proposal included, uh, as you said, sort of $10,000 of relief uh, for folks under $125,000 uh, individually, I think $250,000 if you're married, and then for um, borrowers with Pell Grants, which were um, grants for low-income borrowers uh, for undergraduate education only, an additional t- $10,000. So that could be $20,000. Um, and as I sort of mentioned earlier, this could cover 40,000 people. Um, okay. And in Wisconsin, interestingly enough, 40 million, um, 40 million people, 40 million. Oh, yeah. 40, 40, 40 million. million. Yes. Yes. Very big difference. <laughs> 40 million people. Thank you, Dahlia. Um, in Wisconsin, uh, this was there's like 734,000 people um, who are uh, student borrowers. Uh, 685,000 of them could be eligible uh, wow. for this debt relief. Um, I'm surprised it isn't even hired. I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean my. My husband and I are both professionals with graduate degrees and our household is absolutely under $250,000 because that's just what you make in Wisconsin. That's an incredibly high level to threshold to cover. So I would, yeah, a lot of people in Wisconsin and in the Midwest and in communities that aren't 
you know, like Los Angeles and California and New York, you know, medium-sized cities, I would think, would absolutely be benef- benefited by this proposal. Absolutely. And a uh, study showed, and we actually put this in our amicus brief, there have been so many studies that have shown empirically that actually um, canceling student debt has uh, a positive impact on the econ- uh, the mm-hmm. local economy because people now they don't have, have, have debt, they can... Um, uh, afford to buy a home. They can ha- yes. have a down payment. They can um, buy, um, uh, like, make larger purchases. Make larger. Uh, um, you know, they can get married. They can. Uh, they often will um, go to higher paying jobs. Um, there's been empirical analysis of these, and um, you know, one thing that we pointed out is that that actually boosts local state tax revenue. If you're, you know, buying a house, you know, can boost your property taxes. If you're buying, you know, cars, there's sales taxes in there, and so it actually has a net yes. positive impact on um, uh, on the economy. So this proposal, I, I am so fascinated by the concept that the proposal under the Trump administration is still in effect right now. So there cannot be any challenge to the fact that President Biden had the authority to to do something right now. Is, up up is until very true? recently. Up yeah. until very, there is actually a lawsuit. <laughs> Against the payment pause. There is oh, a really? SoFi, SoFi, which is a private company that um, their entire, well, now they're, they're branching out, but their initial and primary business model is to refinance people who have um, a really good chance, right? Like they're, they're good credit risk. They have a really good chance of repaying their federal student loans. They refinance them into private student loans, sometimes with lower interest rates, because again, they have really high credit scores and, um, and income. And so they refinance them into shorter term uh, loans um, without the federal protections. And that's how they make their money. That's their business model. So take away from the from sort of the bucket of federal student loan borrowers who owe their money to the government, the people who are most likely to repay that debt, um, gotcha. that's their business model. And they're suing um, the Department of Education and President Biden, arguing that their business model is threatened, has been threatened by this uh, you know, by this um, uh, pandemic uh, pause, Not because pause. nobody wants to refinance because they don't right. have to make payments right now. So why would you refinance? And of course, there's cancellation <laughs> possibilities. And this is harming their business model, which of course it is. But the, it the, is the wild part is sort of like, why do you get to just, what, you don't have like a right to your business model, right? Correct. But that's what they're suing. So it is currently, um, huh. uh, I forget where it is, but it's it's they, they sued um, only a month ago or so. Yeah, end of March, so they, I believe. Yeah. yeah. So there is a challenge to the payment pause um it is moving slowly like there's no tra- fast tracking of it so um you know all of this stuff with the um at the some point and the- at some point that's going to be moot if it gets to august potentially yes. potentially yeah, yeah it could be mooted okay. out i think and there's okay. another point and i don't want to put the cart before the horse but there is also um, movement right now um uh, resolution in uh in congress um sponsored by house republicans and, and uh senate republicans um jointly uh, that would wipe away, it's, a, it's under the uh, so-called Congressional Re- uh, Review Act, which would um, wipe away debt cancellation altogether, even separate and apart from these lawsuits, and also immediately end the payment pause retroactive to last September. So that also means that all of, you know, if this were to pass, it requires also President Biden's signature, which is not likely. But <laughs> if it were to pass and get his signature, then it would mean that, um, uh, people would suddenly have to be owing not only their uh, their payments now, they also are uh, late on interest. Well, yeah. uh, David, I just want to make sure I understood what you said, because sometimes, right, the double negative gets confusing. Yes. <laughs> so the proposal, um, right, there's a bit of a tangent, but just worth mentioning, the proposal right now before U.S. Congress is 
wipe away the cancellation, therefore saying there is no cancellation. Yeah, they would basically say, okay. yeah, right. The Congressional Review Act, you might have heard of before because, you know, has been used many times to undo rules. Okay. Gotcha, um, essentially right? something that, you know, uh, the, the, the anyway, so there's a rule that, a, that an agency has put forth and then, you know, um, you get enough votes and the president's signature and or you override those, you know, veto uh, the president um, and uh, and basically undo that rule, even if it have been many years. And so that's okay. the Congressional Review Act. This um, the I think it's like uh, the Congressional Budget Office. Somebody decided. Uh, the, oh, the uh, Government Accountability uh, Office. Government Accountability which is, Office. Which is uh, like related to Congress. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Decided that this a cancellation program um, that, you know, the, that Biden proposed that we've just been discussing, that this is a rule that is subject to the uh, Congressional Review Act. And so um, if you get enough votes, you can undo this rule that is, you know, basically erase it as a thing. So this, mm -hmm. regardless of what the Supreme Court says, this rule is in danger um, mm -hmm. if uh, the Congressional Review Act, uh, if this, if this, um, it's a bill, right? If this bill- uh, gets, It's a resolution, actually. It's, it's a resolution, which, I'm sorry. It's a, which requires is important- yeah. Exactly. Uh, oh, sorry. <laughs> so, Dolly and I are very excited about we, you know, <laughs> lawyers talking. <laughs> um, uh, the insider politics. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It, so this is a resolution as opposed to a normal bill, which means it doesn't necessarily require the filibuster. Uh, ah. So 51 votes in the Senate, uh, you know, what 218 in uh, in, in the House, um, and then you go to and then it can know. become a law. Oh, mm -hmm. so and I believe that like, Senator um, Wisconsin Senator Ron Johnson, I think, is a is a big proponent of it, and a couple of other uh, Wisconsin Repo uh, Republicans as well. So your callers, uh, listeners, um, should really you know call your uh, call your your, call your, your senators, senators, call your call your representatives, say you do not support the Congressional Review Act right. uh, to, to to overturn a debt cancellation. Very interesting. I want to remind everyone you are listening to WORT 89.9 FM. I'm your host, Carousel Baird. You're listening to A Public Affair. We are talking about student loan debt and the proposal before the Wisconsin Supreme Court challenging President Biden's proposal to cancel some of the United States student loan debt. We are talking right now with our two guests, Dahlia Jimenez. Um, she is a professor of law at UC Irvine and the director of the Student Loan Law Initiative at UC uh, Irvine Law School. And we're talking with uh, David Namias. Um, David, am I saying your name right? Almost, probably. <laughs> totally somewhere. right, you got it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right. Hey, 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 director of the Consumer Law Advocates, Scholars and Students Network, and the staff attorney um, for the Center of Consumer Law and Economic Justice at UC Berkeley School of Law. We would love to hear from you. Um, if you want to join this conversation, we would love to hear from you. What is the impact of student loan debt on your career and your um, pocketbook? And what are your thinking on whether it should be canceled or not? Give us a call at area code 608-256-2001, extension 9. Um, Jade and Jay and um, Mary Jo are all there. They're ready to take your calls. They can patch it through onto the air with us. Or if you want to pass a message on to them and they'll pass it on to us, happy to do it. Join us on the air or just with your message. Either way works at area code 608-256-2001, extension 9. Okay, so here we are. How does the U.S. Supreme Court get involved? We haven't even gotten there yet. So let's do that part. Um, so Biden puts out his proposal, and what happens? Who is suing the federal mm -hmm. government, David? 
Yeah, so there's actually two lawsuits that um, that have been combined now before the Supreme Court, and um, I'll I'll talk about them sort of quickly. But I but I think it's important a little to hear like who they who are the players here and how they got there. Yes. So um, the proposal came out last summer, I think last August, um, and with expectation that that cancellation would happen um, almost immediately. I remember the Department of Education issued the. Um, uh, a very easy application form online uh, was did not was not hard to fill out. They were uh, starting to approve um, approve people, um, and they were about ready to um, to actually you know start canceling debt uh, in October. There are a number of lawsuits that were filed um, that actually petered out early against debt cancellation, largely oh. on the basis of standing. standing. And we're going to talk about standing. What is what the non-lawyers, what the heck does standing mean? What does standing mean? I got to tell you, I, this is something that I love talking about. And I love talking about it with folks who are not lawyers because it is something that is really important that we just um, procedurally in, uh, in court that I, that I think all, everybody needs to know about what that, what that means. So standing is a legal concept that uh, basically means your right to sue, right to challenge, a, uh, to challenge an action. Um, and in this case, it's, it's a, your right to sue uh, in federal court in order to get some sort of uh, relief or resolution. Um, and uh, standing is actually a huge part of the lawsuit now before the Supreme Court, or the case before the Supreme Court. But basically, you have to show uh, under, you know, normal standing, standing law, uh, very, very basic, you have to show that you were harmed. And that, you know, in this case, that debt cancellation caused you a, uh, a concrete harm. The rule to, to challenge... Um, uh, something in federal court, and we're talking about, uh, you know, in, in, in the federal courts, you have to show that you, um, the plaintiff, the person bringing the lawsuit, suffered a concrete harm um, that is uh, not abstract or hypothetical. It has to have ha have to actually happen. Um, or if it hasn't happened yet, uh, it is an imminent harm. Uh, and that's, uh, that's, this is word straight from the Supreme Court over decades, um, that you have to suffer a concrete harm um, that is caused by the, um, the action, in this case caused by debt cancellation. Um, it David, can't be can, speculative. Um, and that's a really important sort of thing. An, an example of that? I mean, I'm trying to remember sort of like the basics when you explain it to someone, I think of like, oh, a witness of something can't sue. If you've mm -hmm. witnessed a car accident and you go, God, I know this person caused it. But the other, you don't, as right. a witness, have a right to sue, to make to make person A pay person B. It has no impact on me as a witness, kind of. Thing. Right. That's exactly right. If like if if you were just standing, you're like, oh, I saw that. Um, I wasn't hurt at all. I mean, it didn't change my life. Uh, you know, I didn't. Uh, but I saw it happen. I, David, can't sue because you know you, Carousel, were in a car accident uh, on right. your behalf. Um, the uh, the other important thing here is that the Supreme Court and federal courts generally, they don't issue um, advice. You can't basically go in and say, I think this is, this seems really wrong or like this, this, this uh, I don't, don't like this, this law. Don't you think this is bad? Right, you think this is bad? Like this is wrong, fix it. Um, that is something that uh, courts can't do. They have to show that you actually suffered a uh, actual harm from this. And so a number of lawsuits were filed. Um, people saying, oh, you know, debt cancellation wasn't good. Um, and they, but the court sort of petered them out. They all uh, said, oh, well, there's no standing until you got to this case. Um, the first case, which was filed in October of last year, um, it's called Nebraska v. Biden. And it was uh, a case brought by six, um, six states, six state attorney generals, uh, the states of Nebraska, Missouri, Iowa, 
Kansas, uh, South Carolina, and did I miss one? Nebraska, Missouri, Iowa, Kansas, South Carolina, and Arkansas, excuse me. Okay. Um, and they're all saying that um, debt cancellation, uh, they are, they're challenging the debt cancellation policy, saying that it, uh, it causes them harm. And I'll tell you a little bit about how. Um, but they, this, the crux of their argument was that President Biden and Secretary Cardona exceeded their authority under the Constitution and under um, the, Hero, the 2003 HEROES Act I mentioned earlier to issue widespread debt cancellation, to waive or modify debt cancellation. The basics of their argument why that they are harmed, however, yeah. comes, comes down to uh, this one. It's very, very interesting and technical, but it is a huge piece of the case. It's, it's um, something called the Missouri Higher Education Loan Authority. And this was actually the subject of the amicus brief that um, we at the Center for Consumer Law and Economic Justice, Justice wrote on behalf of consumer advocates, was about this, uh, this agency called the Mo uh, MOHILA, the Higher Education Loan Authority of Missouri. And this is an, um, one of maybe a dozen or so um, loan servicers, which are third-party um, uh, agencies that if your callers have student loans right now or have recently had student loans, they will know about because they're the ones who they paid <laughs> to right. student loans. Correct. And these agencies like Mokila, um, which is the one here, um, Navient, another one, Great Lakes, you might've heard of, uh, they contract with the Department of Education to administer student loans. So they basically have the student loans uh, that people, uh, you know, that the federal government issued to, to students. Um, and then when you're into repayment, uh, the students will actually pay, you know, write their checks and they, they pay Mokila if Mokila is the one who has their loans. Okay. And Mokila was set up in, uh, by the state of Missouri, the Missouri legislature, in 1981, primarily as an entity to, uh, to issue bonds to support um, public education programs uh, and universities in Missouri, um, but has then developed uh, a number of other industries and arms. Is it a government agency? Well, that's a very good question, and that's yeah. sort of a, and that is a subject matter. It was created by by the government. However, the way and this is this is what we found in our research: the way that the law creating Mohila um, set up the entity was to be completely separate from the state, sort of a quasi-government entity, but it is completely separate from the state, so that it's um, all of Mohila's assets and revenues are independent from the Missouri Treasury. And there is no relationship, save for one little uh, exception that I'll, I can talk about. It's, um, but there's basically no relationship between Mohila and the state of Missouri. Mohila is not liable for Missouri's debts. Mo Missouri is not liable for Mohila's debts. And that was the mm -hmm. way it was set up. What the states are arguing is that yes. Mohila here. Um, six states. Six states. But they're, basically their argument um, rests a lot on Mohila. And that's at the Supreme Court oral argument. This is what they talked about was Mohila. Um, they, they say that because debt cancellation will wipe away the debts of, you know, potentially 20 million Americans, some of, their, of those debts are held uh, by Mohila. Mohila uh, charged the, student, uh, the federal government um, fees to administer student loans. Debt cancellation will then um, cause basically the, these, these, these accounts that Mohila uh, services to be wiped away meaning that Mohila can't, uh, can't earn any uh, fees off of those accounts. That would cause Mohila to, um, to lose some uh, revenue. 
which would then, and this is the point, uh, cause because Mojito is losing revenue, it would then cause the uh, state of Missouri to uh, lose income. Come on. So it's a very, very long chain of events. But then anybody ever losing income in any business ever will cause the state of Missouri to lose well, income. And that's exactly the point. And that's what and that's what we argue is that the the this theory of causation is way too speculative. It's it, it's way too attenuated. Um, sort of, you know, it's a weak chain of events. And what the Supreme Court has said in its standing law, which is, I will point out, has been an effort by primarily conservative justices on the Supreme Court over decades to make it harder for people to, to have standing, it to, make it, yes. to make it harder for you and I and all of us to actually sue, uh, to, to get a remedy in, in, in the court. Um, the Supreme Court has said having such a speculative chain of events is just uh, such, such a bunch of hypo, hypo, hypotheticals <laughs> um, is not enough to show standing. And yes. so, um, you know, the case for, for why Missouri and the other states is harmed is very weak. Yeah, and I, I just one thing I think we have a caller, but um, yeah. but we have uh, uh, the the other thing that was not discussed in the Supreme Court, which makes it even worse, um, is that Mohila has a contract with the federal government, um, and that contract expires in December, and mm. they may be renewed. That negotiations and all of that is ongoing, but it is not like a right or a given that they will be renewed. So this harm of them losing money, which the argument is, you know, we're going to suffer because people's debts are going to be canceled. So we're going to get slightly less tax revenue is is kind of a, you know, ridiculous argument in his face in terms of like, that's what you're doing as a state. This is where you're spending your resources. Um, you know, your, your, because your people are going to get right. a break and like you're spending you can't your tax get any revenue on that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so so it's even worse than that in that, yes, though, they might have a harm between now and December, but then afterwards, there is, it's speculative whether they will because that contract thing has not been decided. Wow. And the other the other lawsuit is even worse in a sense is that it's yeah. two, two individuals um, who took on student loan debt. Um, and one of them didn't have a Pell Grant because their, you know, their family weren't wasn't poor enough, and the other one um, uh, doesn't make enough, uh, makes too much money now, and so they're not getting cancellation or they're not getting enough cancellation, like ten versus twenty, and, and none at all because they make too much money. And so they're saying, well, that was wrong, um, and so we should really scrap this whole program. No one should get cancellation because we can't get cancellation. So both of these lawsuits are kind of you know they're they're both really speculative and and um out there in terms of the standing theory um and wow. it's surprising that the supreme court given its jurisprudence took them on at all mm -hmm. um and then you know they're th just the entire thing is almost like you know if you said that at like a cocktail party or something people should laugh at you like if you're like right. oh this is what i'm you know this doesn't so, seem to I'm not okay well and hold on oh, we're, yeah, i want to yeah, i want to i want to get to the caller and then we're going to dial in more on this but elia you've been waiting patiently thank you so much you have a story about your student loan debts that you wanted to share love to hear it yeah, well, thank you very much. I'm, I'm, I, uh, everything I hear is, of course, uh, information that I kind of know, but it's nice to hear it uh, said by people who don't have an interest in defending the loan holders. Um, I borrowed $11,000 in the early 1980s, and um, almost immediately um, after nine months, um, I didn't have a job, and um, I um, was silly enough to not have a transcript Back then, and I don't know if that's still the case, maybe your guests can uh, uh, elaborate on it, um, if you didn't pay after nine months, um, then you were put into default. 
Once yeah. it was put into default and I needed a transcript, right, mm-hmm. I couldn't even get a transcript. I couldn't get a job. Right? And so I was put into this catch-22 of being uh, in a situation where my desired uh, uh, agricultural degree couldn't find a job. And so I was stuck. And so if I didn't have a job, I couldn't pay the loan. If I, you know, couldn't pay the loan, it just continued to get bigger and bigger. Now they want something like fifty to $60,000 for the 11000 that I borrowed. And uh, I'm completely in default. I attempted at one time to uh, to give make a cash payout, uh, and all that did was end up sending a lot of predators, people I call predators, who are non-legal uh, uh, bill collectors, calling me up trying to get me to send them the money. That's all mm-hmm. that happened out of contacting the U.S. government and the University of Wisconsin. Um, so... Uh, in a lot of ways, I think that this is, uh, um, while I'm glad I got the, the, the education, it, it is important to me. It's still important to me. Uh, borrowing the money was the biggest mistake that I ever made in my entire life. And it has uh, sullied my life. It has made my life more difficult, uh, painful. Uh, and now when I'm thinking of retiring here in the next year, they will take a portion of my Social Security. Right. And um, so what I'm left with is less than I had before. And I think the, one of the things that really bothers me the most out of all of this, and there's a lot of things that bother me, but one of the things that really bothers me is that the fees, the costs, the add-ons, and everything that they put onto my loan are then charged interest, which mm-hmm. I think is personally, you know, r- really uh, uh, scummy. Uh, and uh, if not illegal uh, in the larger context of finance. Uh, But I've also realized that when it comes to college loans, they can do just about anything they want, even extrajudicial. (laughs) And and, and so you you, you really don't have any recourse. So thank you for your guests. This is really enlightening, and uh, I much appreciate Wart, as usual, doing uh, going above and beyond the call of duty. So. Thanks for listening. Elliot, thank you so much for sharing that story and talking with us. I mean, I think that's such, right, it's your unique story, but it's so common, the the complexities and the pitfalls of the system. And once you're in it and you miss something, right, the, the, the downward spiral that just keeps coming. I don't know if Dalier or um, David, you had any comments. um, Yeah. I, the, well, the one thing he mentioned was about the transcript withholding, mm-hmm. um, which is actually the Student Bar Protection Center, um, mm-hmm. which David mentioned in the Student Loan Law Initiative, which I run. And I, I have been involved trying to stop or to change the laws that allow that throughout um, you know, the country. Most states allow it. Um, I think it's only seven or eight states, um, uh, not Wisconsin, Wisconsin allows it, um, uh, that forbid it, that forbid withholding of transcripts. Um, in uh, in situations where you're in default in your student debt, some states also um, essentially uh, cancel your license if you have a license, right. um, you know. And then so it's it's, it's just. It's draconian and it is dumb. I mean, it's just people can't pay their debts if they can't use the credential. It, it's just um, yeah. What frustrates me so much is the fact that we tolerate all of this. Of right. that's just how business is. And yeah. welcome to 
you know, capitalism in America. And yeah. we allow all of these things. But then a second that someone says, oh, now I'm not going to get as a state some income or this is going to impact my business standing or all of a sudden these people have a right to voice what they got short shrifted on to the United States Supreme Court. It's really, sometimes that just blows my mind how low income people just say, yep, that's capitalism and move on in their way and just sort of slug through it. And that higher income people are used to things going their way. And when it doesn't go their way, they say, you know, now we're at the U.S. Supreme Court about this. Dolly, yeah. I know you wanted to comment on. Um... Yeah, there's oh, somebody, there some... right? There was somebody in the, that, that mentioned. That's where I do you want me to do it? Do you want me to do it? I just, I. Well, we only have a few more minutes. So actually, I wanted to focus a little bit more on the U.S. Supreme Court. So mm -hmm. what happened when it went before the Supreme Court? What was sort of the feeling that you we heard in the... So we have the argument of standing, and it sounds like the justices, um, the conservative justices weren't really responsive to that, or or were they? Well, what do we so think it's, is going to happen? It's really interesting. Um and so there, so there's two pieces. One is the question of uh, of standing, and one of them is the question of whether or not, you know, um, what we what we the lawyers would say the merits question, the question of whether or not this was um, uh, lawful. Th this was lawful, whether it was within within uh, <laughs> the, the secretary and President Biden's authority to to issue that cancellation. Right. The important thing is standing is uh, the first the first question. You you have to show um, that you have standing in order to get to the next part. And if, if you, you don't have, have standing, standing, right? You don't have standing. Lawsuit's over. Done. Um, the four of the justices were, I thought, uh, pressed really hard um, on wh why the states have standing through the relationship between um, the state of the state of Missouri and Mohila. Um, wow. Uh, Justice Jackson, Kagan, um, uh, Sotomayor, and Justice Barrett. And Justice Barrett, uh, who you know is a is a more of a conservative, uh, um, I think showed some, uh, in my opinion, some good uh, like logical consistency with this idea that standing is, you know, is a uh, standing doctrine has been um, sort of developed uh, by conservatives. Um, and she was, you know, applying that law. And okay. she made a really good point that I, I thought, um, so the, the states are arguing that Mohila is an arm of the state of Missouri. Right. And um, but they weren't there, right? They weren't a party of the lawsuit. Mohila itself, and an attorney representing them wasn't a party to the lawsuit. Correct. Correct. Interesting. Yeah. And, and that's they exactly could right. sue, couldn't they? They could have sued, uh, and Mohila Mohila could have. But um, some work that um, uh, we talked about in our brief that um, uh, actually Representative Cory Bush from um, from Missouri, her office helped uh, helped do was actually do um, some in, in investigation into Mohila and said that Mohila was like, we're not, we were not involved with a lawsuit from the get go. Right. We have no connection to the lawsuit. Crazy. There's also some evidence to show that they were working with it, with uh, Department of Education to, to implement that cancellation. And then David, only because we're tight on time. Of course. Can we um, maybe, um, can one of you talk to us about the substantive mm -hmm. argument of if it gets past standing, the law says that the education secretary can waive or modify. And it seems like the justices are saying that cancellation isn't within the definition of waive. I think that's right. They're saying that, I mean, that's that's what it seemed like they were saying to me. Actually, the entire discussion there was a little 
um, wild in that it was, uh, they were to me grasping at straws and, and making up things <laughs> that have no basis, or at least alluding to the potential of making up things. And I say that as somebody who teaches contract law to first year students <laughs> and has done for over 10 years and waving and modifying or, you know, terms, sort of bread and butter terms of contract law. Right. And they were trying to, I mean, they, they seem to be interpreting them in ways that have, I've never heard of. Um, and uh, and so <laughs> wow. it, it is, it, it was wild to me. Um, and I mean, my hope is that this was, you know, there, there, this is a grasping at straw situation that, and that it will be resolved on the standing question. Um, and that, you know, the court, the justices, the conservative justices seem to want to really speak about how they didn't like this plan. Uh, mm -hmm. Chief Justice Roberts was all like, this is unfair, isn't it? What about the person, the lawnmower person who didn't, um, you know, go to college and instead oh started God. a business, they don't get student debt cancellation. Um, he didn't mention, but they might've gotten a PPP loan that was forgiven, right. but you know, <laughs> right. uh, but you know, he, they seem to want to like, kind of like wail about how unfair and, and unjust this was. Um, but on the standing question, it was only uh, Justice Barrett who really, of the conservatives who really talked about it and it, in a positive way for cancellation. Um, so I'm hopeful that they will just, you know, uh, ultimately say that, uh, that oh, oops, I mean, we hate this, but we right. can't. Yeah, they got it. to air the yeah. frustration. Yes, yeah. yes. That. And I, That's my I just want to add very, very briefly, because yeah. I think that the point here. is, yeah. I was just that I think the fairness point that we talked a lot about earlier in the, in the program, um, the fact that it came up in the oral arguments to me was very concerning, and I think should be concerning to everyone, because whether or not this is fair, that's a policy question that is not something that courts decide. The way that we, in our system, the way the idea is that courts decide the law, they don't decide whether something is, you know, good or fair or whatever. Um, so the fact that the that Supreme Court justices are asking that is, is really concerning. It is really concerning. But this, there is so much more we could talk about, but we're going to have to leave it there. This has just been fantastic. And we accept expect sorry expect a decision from the united states supreme court that usually comes out june mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay so we'll right. know more then but now we know so much more and we know to contact our um state uh u.s senators um if there are issues that come up this has been great thank you again both of you for joining us again dalia jimenez and david namias it's been great talking with you and um learning more thank you for joining us Thank you for having us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, you are again listening to WORT 89.9 FM Madison. We'll see you again next week, everyone. We come and listen and support it. Live in the rest, we come and never be recorded with information that will never be reported. Disregard the mainstream. Media distorted. We come and listen and support it.